You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Neil Bernardino, and I'm the pastor of this church. We are continuing our series titled Beyond the Signs, and we are looking at the miracles of Jesus in the book of John. Basically, we are looking at the theme of God giving us his signs to point to a greater reality, and that greater reality is himself, and that we would not miss what he's saying to us. God wants us to get to know him in a powerful way, and there's so much more beyond just the miracles that Jesus performs, and those miracles point to him. And last week, we talked about Jesus turning water into wine. And we looked at the significance of that and why that was the first of his miracles in the book of John. And today we're going to look at the second one. I'm going to have a break this morning. I'm not going to be preaching the word. We are privileged to have our speaker for this morning, Pastor Billy Lyle. All right. Well, as Pastor Neil said, we're continuing the series, Beyond the Signs. And I get to talk about this passage where Jesus heals an official son. And so I want us to read this together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John. We're going to continue the storyline here in the book of John. And starting in chapter 4, it tells us another sign that Jesus performed. Here, John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. It says this, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water in wine. And at Capernaum, there was a, a, an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So you get it now. This is a very dire situation. Jesus has now come back. He just turned water into wine. People are excited. And this man who has a need, how many of you would think if your son was at the point of death, you would have a need? Yeah? I mean, I, I, I would, right? And so he comes to Jesus because he heard about the miracle he had just performed. And so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, that's a very interesting response for Jesus to give to a man who's basically begging Jesus to do something. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus says to him, Go, and your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the exact hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And at that moment, the Bible tells us he himself believed and his entire household. Amazing, powerful story. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Can we pray this morning as we get into the word? Father, we thank you that you are an amazing God. You're not just a distant God far away, not interested or detached from our cares and our needs and our worries, but God, you are near. You are loving like a good father, not a distant father, not an aloof father, but you're a near and loving father. God, I pray as we study your word this morning that you would open up our hearts and we would understand your love for us and who you are beyond the signs. So Jesus, we thank you this morning. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Um, you know, uh, last year, or a couple years ago, I actually had the privilege of taking my kids to, to Disneyland. We went to Disneyland. And uh, I know that's a big deal for us when we live on an island in the middle of the ocean. Um, I just came to, came to know this, that actually the Hawaiian Islands, if you don't know this, is the most isolated landmass, populated landmass on the planet. 
So anyway, flying here is like a big deal. Anyway, so finally I saved up enough miles and I flew my entire family over to California and uh, we went to Disneyland, but my kids really wanted to go to Legoland. Any, any, anybody got kids that love Lego? I mean, they were just more excited about Legoland than anything, and I'm glad because I'm a little over Disneyland. I don't know about you guys, but you know, if I hear that Frozen song one more time, I might just break my TV because I can't take it anymore. Um, now it's Moana, and uh, anyway, I don't want to get into that. There's a lot wrong with Moana from a Polynesian perspective, but that's okay. We'll just pretend and smile and just like, you know, let the kids sing the song. Anyway, so they wanted to go to Legoland, so we were really excited. Now, Legoland is in San Diego, about almost a two-hour drive away from Anaheim. So we loaded up the van, drove down to Legoland, and they were like, oh, man, we're so excited to go to Legoland. Daddy, I can't wait to go to Legoland. And so we finally get to Legoland. And, uh, and, and so we, we get out of the car, and there's this big Legoland sign. I said, okay, kids, let's get in front of the sign, and we're going to take this picture. And I don't know if you can tell, but my daughter is freezing. But I said, we're doing this. We drove all the way here. We're going to take this picture. So we gathered up in front of the sign. We took the picture. We made like we were happy, and I made them get back in the van and drive all the way back to Anaheim. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. No. That's borderline child abuse, I realize. Uh, even in Hawaii, that's, that's not good. But, but, you know, you don't just go somewhere to see a sign, right? I mean, the sign, that big old Legoland sign, it, that's not the main attraction. The sign just tells us where the main attraction is, right? The sign is just to tell us that there's something greater on the other side of the sign. I mean, that's by definition what signs are for, to point to something that's greater, right? I mean, we're, we want to go see, like, you know, some sites around San Francisco after this is over. We're not just going to stop in front of signs and, like, take pictures by the signs and, like, shoot, let's go back to the hotel. Shoots, by the way, that's a Hawaiian thing. I just did it. Shoots. Shoots, brah. We're going back to the hotel. Anyway, but we're not just going to go stand in front of a sign and take a picture and then go home. No, we're going to follow the sign to the Golden Gate Bridge. You know what I'm saying? We're going to follow the sign to go see Alcatraz. The sign is only meant to point to something greater. And you know what? That's just like that in the Bible. And the signs that Jesus performed are not supposed to be worshipped in and of themselves. Signs are not an end in itself. Signs are a means to point us to Jesus. So I have here on screen, signs are meant to point to something greater. And sometimes in our culture, we get caught up just chasing after signs. You realize every religion in the world is about what I need to do to get some sign from God, right? If I light this incense or I give this money or I do this thing, then, then maybe God will perform that sign that I need in my life. Maybe I'll get that financial breakthrough or maybe I'll get that healing. If you're a young person here, maybe she'll fall in love with me, right? I know nobody's thinking that right now or he, right? If I, if I do all these things, these religious things, then maybe I'll get that miracle, that breakthrough, that sign that I've been longing for in my life. That's really what every single religion on the planet is about, doing certain things to get your sign, your miracle, your thing. And you know, sometimes even Christians, we do that with Jesus. Jesus becomes a means to an end. Rather than being the object or rather than being the end in himself, Jesus is a means to an end. If I follow Jesus or I give my life to Jesus, then all my problems will go away or, or I'll get blessed or this, that, and the other thing. Now, don't get me wrong. God does want to bless us. I think the Bible is very clear that he wants to bless his children. Just like me, I'm a father. I love to bless my kids. I don't love seeing them in want or in need. No, I love seeing them having what they need and more than enough. I think that's what the Bible teaches us about God. But... We have to be careful that Jesus doesn't become a means to an end in our life. And we use him to get to the sign when the signs are meant to point us to him. And we've got to be very careful in, in our relationship with God that we don't make it about the signs. But rather we let the signs point us to the one that is greater, 
and that is Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of background about this passage that we just read. Jesus just returned to to Cana in the Galilee, where he just turned the water into wine. I know Pastor Neil preached about that last week. And, and as he's coming back, of course, people are excited. Oh, my God, the miracle worker is coming back. I mean, think about it. If, if you had a dude show up at your house to turn all the water into wine, expensive wine, you'd be like, man, we need to have him over more often. You know what I'm saying? Can he turn that into cheese, you know, and some grapes? And, you know, we'll have a good old time. Let's get Jesus back here. Maybe he can make more wine, and we can sell it and start our own winery and be, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know what they were. That's probably what I would have been thinking. But then we find this man who had a need. His son is dying. And he comes over to Jesus saying, man, if he can turn water into wine, maybe he can perform this sign for me and heal my son. Now, none of us would think that that's a bad thing. Why, why would you ask that? But it's very interesting how Jesus responds to the man. See, when the man heard that Jesus came, right, he went down to ask Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus' response wasn't, oh, yes, my son, I will heal your son and I will come down with you to your house. No, look what he says. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That almost sounds like a rebuke, doesn't it? Like, what's the matter with you? You want a sign? But that's, that isn't really what Jesus is saying. What he was saying is, yes, you need signs. Yes, you have a need in your life. But let me tell you what you need even more than a sign. You need to believe in me. What's even greater than what I can do for you is you need to know me personally. And that's what he was telling the man. Yeah, look, I know you need a sign, but what you really need is to believe. If you're here this morning, I know you have needs. Every single one of us have needs in our life. And I'll tell you about a need that I walked through for about three years in my life. Every single one of us have needs. And, and yes, we can come to Jesus with our needs and offer them up in prayer and ask people to, to pray for you in your victory groups and all that. Man, please do that. Don't stop doing that. But you know what's more important than any healing or any breakthrough is that we would come into a real relationship with Jesus Christ, a saving relationship with him. And really believe, not just in the man upstairs or the God that can answer my prayers, but in Jesus for who he is. And that's what he's trying to reveal to this man in this passage. He's saying, look, I, I know you need this, but what you need even more than a healing is you need to believe in me. Unless you see these signs, you won't believe. That is what you really need. I know you want a sign, but what you really need is me. And I want to say that to every single one of us this morning, that what you really need is Jesus. And what we really need in our lives is more of Jesus, less of us and more of him. My friend Peter Dusan in, in Texas says this, more Jesus. The goal of life is just more Jesus. Every day, whatever you're doing, I just need more Jesus. I just need more Jesus. If you're here this morning, I'm here. I need more Jesus. Whatever I'm walking through, whatever I'm going through, I need more Jesus. Signs are meant to point us to who Jesus really is. Now watch this. So he responds to this man, look, look I know you need a miracle, but you, what you really need to do is believe. See, Jesus is always doing more than answering our prayers. He's always doing more than just answering our prayers. He's revealing more of himself in the process. He's always doing more than just answering our prayers. He's revealing more of himself in the process. Look at what happens next. The, the official said to him, sir, come down. In other words, come to my house before my child dies. Come to my house. I want you to come to my house. Now look at what Jesus said to him. Go, your son will live. In other words, he didn't answer the man's request. In fact, what he said was, no, come to my house, Jesus. I need you to do this my way. Do it like this. And Jesus says, I ain't doing it like that. I'm not going to go to your house. No. How many of you like it when Jesus says no to you and doesn't do things your way? God, I hate it when he does that. I hate when he doesn't do things my way. Because my way always makes a lot of sense, right? My way is the best way. So I think. <laughs> I can imagine you're that guy. You're desperate. My son's about to die. Jesus, come to my house. No, I'm not going to go to your house. 
uh, just go and your son will live. I don't know how I would feel about that because I'd rather you come with me. You see, in the Old Testament, miracle workers and prophets, they were very common. It happened quite a lot. But for a prophet or whoever to work a miracle, they always had to be in proximity to the person that they were doing the miracle for, right? Think Elisha, Elijah, Samuel, all of them. They actually had to go down to where the person was to anoint them or to heal them. Or if you're Elijah, to lie on top of them and heal them. You know what I'm talking about? There always had to be proximity. And so you would understand why this man, who most theologians believe was a Jewish official, possibly working for the Romans, would want Jesus to come to his house. Because you need to be near. Every prophet had to be near to the person that was getting healed. And Jesus didn't go down. Now, why didn't he go down? Because you know what Jesus was doing in disappointing this man and not answering his prayer his way? He was revealing that he isn't just some ordinary miracle worker. He said, I'm not just no ordinary prophet. I'm not an ordinary miracle worker. I'm God. And I can say, go and your son will live and your son will live. I don't have to go down there. See, I'm not just a prophet. I'm the one that spoke and the universe came into existence. I'm the one that spoke and light separated from the darkness. I'm the one that spoke a word and life teemed on this planet. I'm not just any ordinary miracle worker. I am God. I don't have to go down there. I just have to say a word. Ooh, he's the man, isn't he? Come down. No, I don't got to go. Just go. Just go. Bam. And it happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoa, who is this guy? But you see, when Jesus doesn't do things our way, there's always a reason behind that. See, a lot of times we want him to do it our way, but when he doesn't do it our way, it's because there's something greater that he's trying to reveal about himself. When he disappointed this man and said, I'm not going down with you, it's because I want you to know I'm not just a miracle worker. I am God that you need to believe in. Don't just believe in me as a prophet. Believe in me that I am God. And when I speak a word, it happens because I commanded everything into existence. I am God. You see, when, when God doesn't do things our way, he's trying to reveal something about himself in the process. See, we get disappointed. We get mad. We get frustrated. God's saying, Will you look and see what I'm trying to reveal to you about who I am? Several years ago, my, uh, one of my aunties, my mom has uh, seven brothers and sisters, and one of my aunties was dying. And uh, in fact, she lived in Fremont, by the way, just not very far from here. And so my mom kept flying back up here to visit her and be with her when she was in the hospital. And the whole family was kind of gathering together. It was a really scary time. And I remember I prayed. I said, God, you know, if you heal her, my whole family's going to get saved. This would be a great opportunity to reveal that you are a powerful miracle worker. Do this, God. And I claimed it, and I bound, and I loosed, and I, I don't know what else I did. But I was, I was believing for a miracle because I thought for sure, man, if she gets healed, my whole family is going to come to faith in God. Long story short, she doesn't get healed. She actually dies. And so they asked me to come up here and do the funeral. So I flew up here. And, you know, on the flight, I was kind of confused. Anybody ever been confused when God doesn't do things your way? I said, God, what happened, man? I mean, I've seen you heal people before. I've seen you. In our church, we have stories of people that got brought back from the dead and healed of cancer, all kinds of crazy. I mean, I I laid hands on a girl, and a tumor that was on her back just disappeared, like, in a a week. I mean, I've seen amazing things, and I'm flying up here to do my auntie's funeral. I'm going, God, what happened? Did you forget about my prayer? Did you, you know, what was going on? Don't you know that this would have been the best way to lead my family to Christ? As I was standing up there, giving, you know, doing the funeral, Praise God, my auntie was a Christian, so we know that she went to heaven. And, I, and so I, I framed the funeral sermon preaching about heaven and just where she is right now and the presence of God and what the Bible teaches about heaven. And as I was standing there, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. This is more important than her getting healed. 
And after the service was over, I got to preach the gospel to so many of my family and my relatives. And, and I actually got to lead one of my cousins to the Lord. I, I got to lead her daughter to the Lord and got to spend a lot of time with her. And as I stepped back from that moment, I realized, you know what? God could have healed her, but maybe this moment wouldn't have happened or these moments wouldn't have happened. And I realized, you know what? So much more things of eternal value came out of her passing than, that, than I think would have came out if she just got healed. Because, you know, when God does a miracle, sometimes we write it off, you know, as, oh, that was a coincidence or, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Or, yeah, no big deal. And then we move on with our lives and we don't really stop and think about the implications of what just happened there. Or if you're not a Christian, you just go on with your life thinking it was a miracle, a coincidence or, you know, good medicine from the doctors or whatever. But because she passed away and went to heaven, and I know she went to heaven because she was a Christian, I, got, I get to now talk to my entire family about eternal realities and heaven and hell and life and death and the gospel that saves us from that. And I realized, man, this was far more powerful than if she'd have gotten out of that bed. Now, would I, do I wish that she was alive? Absolutely. But you know what's more important than our signs is that we get to know who Jesus is. He's not just a miracle worker who can raise a person out of their deathbed. And he's God who saved us from the ultimate death in hell. And that's the message that's even more important. And see, when God doesn't do things our way, it's because he's got something better. When God doesn't do things our way, it's because he has something better in mind. It's not just no. It's, I got something better for you, son. I got something better for you, daughter. I was thinking about this last year, my, my daughter's birthday. She insisted that I take her out to eat. And she loves sushi, so we went to our favorite sushi restaurant. And uh, we sat down and we ate sushi. I said, Maddie, what do you want to do now? And she said, I want to go to Toys R Us. I said, why do you want to go to Toys R Us? She said, because I want to buy a My Little Pony. I said, no, you don't need another My She has like, seriously, all of them. I don't even know if there is another pony that she doesn't have. She has a lot of aunties that just buy her stuff. And so there's so many ponies in my house. I feel like I have a ranch or something. It's crazy. And so she said, Can I, I want to go buy another pony. And then you know when, when children are trying to beg you for something, they say, no, just a little one. I just want a little pony. I don't, you know, and I was like, oh, it's breaking my heart telling you no. But I said, no, you don't need another little pony. Let's just go home. And so she reluctantly got back in the car. I could tell she was sulking, brought her home. And I said, Maddie, go look in your bedroom. She goes into her bedroom, and there was a My Little Pony castle that I had bought for her. And it wasn't just one little pony. There were like five little ponies. And I looked at her face, and she was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so glad you didn't let me go. She didn't say it like that, but you know, and I just thought about that, that, you know, sometimes we're saying, God, if you just do this for me, just do this for me. And God's going, no, 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 I got something far better than that waiting at home for you. Will you just trust me that I'm not trying to hold out on you? I'm not trying to jip you in life. I'm not trying to rob you of joy or fun or peace. Will you just trust me in what my word says, that if you follow me and you obey me and you go, that I got something better for you. You don't need just one little pony. Stop settling for little in your life. I got more for you, but you got to trust me. I mean, imagine what that man was thinking. Come to my house. No, (laughs) I'm not going to go to your house. Wow, Jesus, what, what, where's the love? You know what I'm saying? Why aren't you doing it this way? Jesus saying, look, I'm going to heal him, but I want you to find out something so much more important than just his healing. I'm not just a miracle worker. I am God. And when you see this miracle, you're going to believe in me. So the man, he went. I would have stood there and be like, no, you're coming. You know what I mean? Like, come on, get in the chariot or the horse or whatever and go. But the Bible says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He's like, all right. 
you said go, I'm going. And he turned around and he went home. And as he was going down, the Bible says, the servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Notice this, as he was going. A lot of times we, we say, man, I'm waiting for God to do something in my life. I'm going to wait for God. I'm just waiting on God. I don't know about you, but this scripture tells me that this dude wasn't waiting. He was going. Yeah, so some of us need to stop waiting. We need to get up and go and start obeying the Bible. Start obeying God's word. Start obeying what he's telling us to do. And as we're going in obedience, even though we don't know the outcome, that's when the breakthrough comes very often. We want it to come first and have all our ducks in a row first, and then I'll go. Jesus says, no, no, go, and then you'll see. Go, and then the miracle. Go, and then the breakthrough happens. Sometimes we're waiting, God, for financial breakthrough or financial provision. And we're saying, God, I'm not going to move until you tell. No, 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 no. Start obeying God and whatever he puts in front of you, and as you put one step in front of the other in obedience, keep on obeying, keep on obeying, the breakthrough and the sign will come in, in due time. Because he's more interested in, in revealing himself than just that miracle. And something happens as we're going in faith and obeying and pushing through barriers and obstacles and, and unbelief and, and, and fear and doubt and all that. Something happens inside of us. That's what he's far more interested in in just our small, temporary little blessings. God doesn't just want to give you a pony. He wants to give you a castle and five ponies. There you go. You can tweet that. That's, that's the Bible right there. <laughs> he's got so much more for you than that. My son loves, he loves, I told you, basketball. So he, he just discovered basketball cards. Uh, so I took him to this, basket, this, this sports card store in Hawaii. It's like the only one. Anyway, I took him there. And he walked in, and he was like, oh, my God, I've never seen such a wonderful place before. Like, and he was literally there for hours sitting on the ground, just going through cards and picking out the ones that he wanted. And then I showed him, I said, son, they even have folders that you can put your cards in, and you can organize them. He's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I'm showing him things. And I just realized, you know what? There's so much that God wants to reveal to us that we don't even know about yet. I mean, and now he loves it. Like, he's loved it for his whole life. But he didn't know about it three weeks ago until I revealed to him the glory that is collector's cards. You know what I'm saying? I thought about that. You know, there's so much that God knows about that he has in store for us that we, can't, we don't even have a clue. In our limited knowledge, and our limited revelation about life, we don't even know yet. And God wants to lead us there, but we got to obey him. Come with me, son. Go down that road. Take that step of faith. Share the gospel with that person. Give the tithe. Be faithful in serving. Whatever it is. And God says, as you go, I'm going to show you. As you go, you're going to get your breakthrough and you're going to get your sign. The man believed the word and he went. What has God put in front of you right now? And maybe you say, God, I'm waiting for you to come through for me and then I'll do this. I'm waiting for a sign and then I'll go. I think the Bible shows us patterns over and over that the signs follow our going. The signs follow our obedience very often, as it did in this case here. Don't be waiting on God. Get going get obeying. Now I understand it's hard to obey and to trust in the midst of difficult circumstances. It's easy to obey when things are going good, but when things are going hard, it's difficult to obey and trust God. Isn't that true? For about three years, um, my family, we went through a really, really difficult season. When my son Michael was uh, two months old, and we got a picture here. I don't know if you recognize that dude, but that's uh, Pastor Jim LaFoon. He prophesied over Micah he started, you know, talking about a few things. Yeah, note the mustache, by the way. He's since shaved that, um, and he's grown a goatee. But anyway, Pastor Jim prophesied over my son a few things, that he's going to be a great athlete and different things. Um, by the way, he's, he's tiny, so pray for my son that he grows big because so, he, he wants to play for the Golden State Warriors one day. 
But one of the things that Pastor Jim prophesied was between the ages of three and five, he's going to have a medical condition that's going to scare you, a chronic medical condition that's going to scare you. But I want you to know that I've, God's taken care of it, but I'm letting you know in advance so when it happens, you'll know. And so sure enough, my son turned three and literally all hell broke loose in his life. Long story short, I won't bore you with the details, but he has severe allergies, chronic allergies. It seemed like he was allergic to everything. And he would break out in rashes literally all over his body. The doctors called it severe eczema, but that wasn't what it was. And we literally spent thousands and thousands of dollars seeing different kinds of doctors, medical doctors, holistic doctors. I mean, you name it, we saw like five or six each. And every single one of them told us, you know, he'll grow out of it. And you just got to, you know, bear with it. Anyway, long story short, because of it, he went through for about three years where he couldn't sleep because he would constantly be scratching himself. He'd have blood on all of his sheets, and in the middle of the night, he'd wake up and just cuts all over his arms and his legs and his body. And so the only way that he could sleep was if one of us was with him, patting him literally all through the night. And so we would get maybe an hour of sleep, and then we're woken up, and we have to put him back to sleep, and then, and then we'd sleep for another hour. And, and that went on literally for three years. So someone asked me once, you know, what was that like for you? For those of you who've had newborns, you remember what that felt like? But for three years. Uh, another example is like if you've ever had jet lag before, but it's like having jet lag all the time. That's how I felt for about three years. I was going crazy. My wife and I were constantly fighting with each other because of the stress and, and the drama of what was going on. And more importantly, it's, it's just so hard to watch your child suffer. It was so bad that I used to literally wrap up his arms and his legs in bandages and, and tape. It got so bad that he had staph infections uh, quite often that I had to, I got to stop you from scratching yourself. So I, I wrapped him up in all that gauze and I duct taped him. And it was, I was taking him to school one day and I duct taped him so tight. He was like, daddy, how am I supposed to eat? I can't eat. I was like, you just got to work it, boy. You just got to work it. And then you'll, you know, get the movement in there. Um, and I, when I dropped him off at school, I was like, oh my God, Child Protective Service is going to call me. I know it because it looks like we're abusing this poor boy. But the school was very gracious. But it was like that for, for so long. And you know, when you, you go through something for a long time, you kind of start wondering, God, well, what's going on? You know, I mean, we, we did the thing. I, mean, I, pray, I said, God, is there sin in my life that I need to repent of? Like, what's going on, you know? Um, I had people speak into our lives, pray for us. We had people pray for us all the time. But it just kept on going on. And I never came to the point where I doubted God or even his love. But I did come to a point where I, I just, it was just too much. Like, life is just too hard to live. Came to the point one night, my wife and I, well, many nights actually, where we, we looked at each other and we're like, man, there's got to be someone who can take care of him because we can't do this anymore, you know? I just, can't, I just can't keep doing this. It's a terrible feeling when you feel like I can't even take care of my own child, you know? And uh, I was like, man, we got to send him somewhere. But where are you going to send him? And I said, okay, we have to take care of him. He got so bad one night, uh, his allergies were so bad that we had to rush him to the ER because he was having a hard time breathing. I remember we, we put him in the ambulance, and as the ambulance door was closing, I remember the last scene that I had of him was him gasping for air. So I tried to be strong. I grabbed my daughter, put her in the car, and as we were driving, following the ambulance, you know, I had this thought that, like, man, the last time I saw him, he was, he was hardly breathing. I don't even know if he's alive right now. Those of you that are parents know how, that, how scary that moment must be. And as I was driving, I was like, it's, I don't even know if he's alive right now. I'm trying to text my wife, but she wasn't responding. She was in the ambulance with him. And, you know, you ha had this moment where I was like, God, please don't tell me he he's no longer with us, you know. But, you know, something powerful happens in those moments, that Jesus wants to reveal himself in a deeper way. And as I was praying, 
I felt the peace of God come on me like I've never experienced before. Where it's like God was saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I mean, I remember I'd hear stories of people who would say, you know, God got us through the most difficult times in our life. Right? I know you've heard people probably share those stories. I don't know about you, but I used to think, that sounds cute. It's cliche almost. It's a, it's a thing that Christians say to, to, to pump each other up. But let me be really honest. In that moment, when I thought that my son might be dead, the peace of God fell on me. And I felt absolute calm. Just absolute calm. And as we were walking through the emergency room, me and my daughter going to meet the ambulance, I remember I checked in with the lady. I said, you know, an ambulance just came, uh, brought my son. And she's like, oh, we don't have him on, on record yet, so just sit down and, and you know, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll call you when it's ready. So I sat down. I'm still trying to text my wife. She's not texting me back. So for about 25 minutes, I didn't know what was going on with my son, whether or not he was alive or not. Because, again, last thing I saw of him, he was gasping for air. It was really scary. He, he felt his throat closing up and all of that. But the peace of God in that moment, I can't explain it. You just, you just experience it. Where God tells you in that moment, it's going to be okay. That in the absence of a sign, in the absence of God doing things the way that I would have wanted him to do it, he was revealing more of himself in the process. See, I wanted God to heal him after the first month we went through it. God, heal him. I mean, I was, I was praying in tongues. I was doing everything. I anointed everything with oil. Everything was just slippery and slick with oil because I anointed everything. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And he didn't do it my way. And I got frustrated and I got, I got upset at one point. But it was a process that God had to take us on to do what he wanted to do in me. And I remember when I realized that, I said, God, whatever you want to do in me, just do it. I want everything. I don't want the miracle until you're done doing what you need to do in me. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but in 2012, the Mayans thought the world was going to end. Anybody remember that? I was actually looking forward to it. That's how bad it was. I remember December 12, 2012 was coming up. I was like, oh, it's coming soon. I remember every time North Korea threatened Hawaii, I was like, just, just bomb my house. Nobody else. Just, just take us out because I, I want to go to heaven. I'm ready. Let's do this. Earth and sin, it sucks. Let's go to heaven, baby. I was ready. I didn't want anyone else to suffer, you know what I'm saying? But I, just, I was ready to go to heaven. God had to do some stuff in me in the process. But how many of you know it takes time? It took a process. I wanted God to do it right away. God said, no, there's something I want to do in you. There's something that happens in the perseverance. There's something that happens in the, in the obedience, in the long suffering, in the faithfulness, in the midst of fear and uncertainty. Are you going to continue to obey? Something happens in us when we continue to obey in the midst of that fear and uncertainty. And that's what often God is more after. And so we sat there at the emergency room, and I just was just basking in this peace. I was almost waiting to hear the bad news, but I just knew, God, you know what? And I prayed this prayer. I said, God, you gave him to me for five and a half good years. And I'm thankful that if he's no longer with us, I know he's healthy in heaven right now. And he's going to be safe forever. I'm never going to have to worry about him. And when it's time for us to go home, we'll see him again one day. But God, I know that if he's not with us, you got him. Thank you, Jesus for dying on the cross for my sins and making a way for us to go home to be with you. I prayed that in the ER and my daughter was sitting there. She was wearing a princess dress and I remember we took a selfie together. I don't have that picture. But I was just like, man, this peace is incredible. But of course, thankfully, you know, that it didn't end that way and he ended up being okay. I was like, why didn't you text me sooner for crying out loud? But, but it was something in the process that God wanted to do in me, I guess. I mean, there's just so many lessons through that, that I don't have time to share them all with you. But you know what? God doesn't do things our way because he's trying to do something deeper in all of our hearts. What sign are you waiting for right now that maybe you haven't gotten or maybe that you'll get later on? I want to encourage you this morning. 
ask God, what are you trying to do in me? See, because he could answer all of our prayers. He could do it just like that. There's, there's nothing to that for him. He's God. But if he answered all of our prayers, gave us everything we want, made us all rich beyond our wildest dreams, but we miss who Jesus is, what good would that be? Right? Doesn't Jesus say that? He said, well, what good would it be for a person to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? And I think that Jesus is more after what he's trying to do in us than what we get in our temporal blessings or our temporary breakthroughs or our temporary healings. Because we're going to die eventually. What's more important is not our, our healing and our resurrected body on this earth. It's the gospel going forth through our lives so that other people can know Jesus through us so that they can have eternal life in heaven one day too. And sometimes it's that process that we have to go through. I realize it was the process that we went through with our son that opened the door for me to be able to share the gospel with so many people that didn't know him. I mean, everyone at his school knew about his situation. Now when they see me, they're like, oh my God, Micah's doing so good. His skin is so great. What did you guys do different? We prayed and we waited on God. Oh, and by the way, he got a prophetic word when he was two months old that he was going to go through this thing from the time of three and five. And by the way, when he turned six, it all stopped. Let me just tell you something, man. When you tell an unsaved person about a sign that God performed, you're like, what? You know? No, for real, what did you do? What soap did you use or lotion did you use? No, it was God's timing, and God healed him when he said he was going to heal him. Sometimes I even play the prophetic word for people. I have it on my phone, Pastor Jim speaking, like, and that's when it stopped. I mean, it's amazing how many open doors for the gospel have been provided just through our suffering. Now, I wish it wasn't three years long. I mean, could you do it in three months, God, like for real? But there was more that he wanted to do in that process. And you know what it took? I guess he knew that it would take three months for my hard head to get cracked so that I could receive what God was trying to do in me in that process. When God doesn't do things your way, it's because he's doing something deeper. Would you pull back and say, God, what are you trying to do in me? I remember I told my wife one day, let's stop asking God to heal him and start asking God what he wants to teach us. That's hard to do. But I remember we started doing that. God, what are you trying to teach us through this? And that, there have been so many things that he revealed to me about myself. I remember one night I was holding him on my, on my shoulder and I'm trying to put him to sleep. And I remember I leaned back and said, God, okay, what are you trying to teach me tonight? And the Lord said, you have, you have some unforgiveness issues. Now, I don't ever hear an audible voice. It was just a thought. And, of course, I would never tell myself that. I tell myself I'm amazing and awesome all the time. But God tells me, no, you got some unforgiveness issues. And I sat there. I was like, God, no, man, I'm good. I dealt with all those. I've forgiven him. And as I was drifting to sleep, the Lord just showed me a picture of two people walking towards me, two people in particular. And as I saw their faces, I got mad. In my heart, I got mad. I was like, ooh, you suckers. <laughs> and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, see? I was like, ooh, good one, God. Good one, good one. You know, just stuff like that. You know, I mean, there's so many of those moments that God was doing something in my life. What is he trying to do in you as he makes you wait? What is he trying to do in you as he doesn't do things your way? And he says, no, go. Your son will live. I'm not going to go to your house. I'm not going to do it your way. Ask him, what are you trying to do in me as we proceed? See, the only sign that we should be looking to is the sign of the empty tomb. It's the sign of the empty tomb. Because you know what the empty tomb tells us? He's not dead. He is alive. That Jesus isn't just a miracle worker who lived and died. He is the resurrected king seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. That tomb tells us that our debts are paid and our sins are forgiven. Heaven is our home. Nothing can ever take that away from you, Christian. If you're a Christian in this place and you believe in Jesus, nothing can ever take that away. 
See, the miracle can go away, or maybe you don't get it. Maybe things don't get answered, but the tomb is still empty. I have friends that just went there. It's still empty. You know what I'm saying? He isn't there. He is alive. When we go through hard times, sometimes Jesus is trying to take our eyes off of this temporary world and have us look back at that empty tomb. And the gospel that declares that your debts are forgiven, your debts are paid, and your sins are forgiven. Now, how would you feel if I told you that, that, all your, that your debts were paid this morning? Yeah, you'd feel pretty good, right? Well, that depends, though, on what debt you're talking about, right? Because I got a $9.99 Netflix bill. That, man, if you paid my debt, I'd be pretty happy. Thank you. Thank you, because, you know, nine, that's nine bucks in my pocket, right? I'd be thankful. Thank you. You'd be, we'd be buddies, all right? You'd be my boy, all right? But if you paid my $500,000, which I don't have, thank God, IRS bill, and the, and the IRS is threatening to take me away and throw me in jail and impound my house and my car and sell my kids into slavery, I don't know, whatever they do, right? If you paid my $500,000 IRS bill and saved my life, I'm not just going to be, thank you, you're my boy, I'm going to be indebted to you forever. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I thank you for what you've done? See, our gratitude to God is in direct proportion to what you perceive your debt was. What do you believe that your debt was before God? See, you know what the empty tomb tells us? That our infinite debt before a holy God, of our sin, our rebellion, our pride, our lies, our, our whatever has been paid in full. And we can look to that empty tomb and say, you know what, even if you don't do another thing for me, even if you don't show me another sign, God, you are infinitely worthy of my praise, my worship, and my obedience. You tell me to go, I'll go. You tell me to stay, I'll stay. I think that's a song. You tell me to move, I'll move, right? Whatever you say, I will do because you paid my debt. That tomb is empty. I don't need another sign, God. See, when we say that we need another sign in order to believe, what we're saying is what you did on that cross isn't good enough. I need something else. That that empty tomb and all that blood you shed, yeah, that's not good enough. I need, I need a miracle to believe in you. No. Even Paul says the only sign that we need is the empty tomb. I'm not going to read it for time, right? Even he said all that we need to look to is the fact that Christ is alive. Is your faith based on some temporal sign or is it based on the empty tomb that tells us Jesus is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father? That faith can never be shaken. Faith in a sign, a healing, that can be shaken. That can be taken from you at any moment. The devil will come to steal, kill, and destroy your faith. But when we look to the gospel, nothing can ever shake your faith. And here's the great news. And, and as we close, the result of our faith is we will one day see what we've believed in. The result of faith is we will see what we believed in. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. The father knew it was at that exact moment Jesus said to him, your son will live. He himself believed, and there's always an and in the Bible. Jesus just doesn't want you to believe, and your whole household. That's what he's after, amen? When he performs signs, it's not just for you. It's for your whole household to believe. It's for all that are attached to you to believe. It's for everyone that, that follows you on Facebook to believe. But here's the most important thing. One day we will see heaven, what we've believed in. Because no matter what he does for us on this earth, our bodies are still going to die. We're not getting out of this alive. You know what I'm talking about? But we will stand before him and we will see what we've believed in. Heaven and Jesus with his nail-scarred hands saying, Welcome home. And that is far more powerful than anything else he could do for us. Amen. Can I pray for us as we close? Will you bow your heads with me? You're here this morning and you have a need. You're going through something, whether it's in your physical body or in someone that you know, someone that you love. I want to pray for you. God, I thank you that you are a loving father and you love your children. 
You don't rejoice in our suffering. The Bible tells us that you're grieved at our suffering. God, I pray right now that we would come to a deeper faith in you in the midst of it all. God, that that we wouldn't just look to our circumstances. We wouldn't just look to our need for a sign or a breakthrough or a healing. But God, we would look to you and all that you're trying to do in us in this process to reveal your love, to reveal your presence, to reveal your grace, to reveal the gospel, all of that, God. We want that. What do you want to do in me? We open up our hearts this morning. Yes, we have needs. Yes, we need a sign. But more importantly, we want more of you. So we open up our hearts, and we surrender our lives to you once again. Do what you want to do, Jesus. Do what you want to do. We trust you for the results. As we go, we trust you for the results. And ultimately, Lord, let our lives be a sign to our friends and family and all that know us that there is a God in heaven who loves them too, who didn't just pay our debts, but he wants to pay theirs as well. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen.